Good morning. Welcome to our home retreat this morning. I'm Father Bede. We've entitled it Perhaps the Church's Best Kept Secret. We had two of our greatest feasts of the Church earlier this week, All Saints, All Hallows, Halloween, the Eve of All Hallows, as goodness, saintliness flushes out the ghosts of our dark sinfulness and the divine light within the pumpkin calls us home. And all souls, as we remember and pray for our loved ones, still on their journey to heaven. It seems a fitting moment to search into the secrets of the journey from our current status as the church militant into the attic space of the church suffering before our eventual crossing of the threshold into heaven as the church triumphant. A poem. Planted in neat, straight lines, designed to keep divinity in or the world at bay. They are thick and intricately tangled, exquisitely manicured by God's officials who have had long training in the finer arts of hedging. Snipping this way and that, they mould the bushy green growth into ever more ingenious designs. Flying fish, glamorous dragons, motherly pelicans, tender lions, meek lambs and impressive eagles. So engrossed are they in their tending of theological topery, they fail to notice God popping on her walking gear and slipping out the back garden gate, heading for the hills, gently whispering. It's called Ecclesiastical Hedges by Nicholas Slay. The young people who come here to us on retreat, up to 55 of them for a 48-hour residential, are not experts or even novices at hedging, either planting new ones or manicuring old established ones. They are adventurers who listen intently to a god who dons walking boots and anorak and walks aloud alongside them and their questions about the map, the compass and the muddy bits. They are fed up with reliability mediocrity and right answers from their sat-nav or their iPhone. They ask two questions of the church, of us. Is it real? And are you loving? And they ask real questions. How would you feel if when you die you find there is no God? Asked a 15-year-old, at St Thomas More High School, when I was answering questions in front of 150 of them. Never been asked that question before, I had to pause to reflect on it. And one boy nudged his pal as if to say, we've got him, a question he can't answer. All I could say in response was one word, gutted. And a two-second delay, and the whole room laughed in relief that even a monk, not a seasoned hedge trimmer, 
could give an answer. The secret, the best kept secret. This morning we don our spiritual walking gear and head for the hills, gently whispering. Whispering, because few want to know the answer. Never mind explore the map and read the compass. Not even the Google word topiary. Safer, cleaner, less threatening to praise the hedge and thank the gardener. Reading last week English Catholicism's equivalent to Gardener's World, the tablet, I noticed an article in the World News section with unbelievable news. If I say Las Vegas, you are already fearing the worst. Another mass killing, a Trump rally, an AI scam which duped thousands of ordinary people into losing millions. Well, listen. Las Vegas has become the 33rd Archdiocese in the United States, recognising growth in its Catholic population. From 250,000 at its foundation in 1995 to 650,000 today. A 260% increase in 29 years. What's the church's best-kept secret in Las Vegas? Archbishop George Leo Thomas said, The growth was the result of synodality, with women and men working together on the shared journey in faith. Hedge planters and pruners, or open-plan Catholicism, I wonder. A photo of the cathedral shows a steeply pitched roof of a monstrosity of a cathedral, with a huge mural above the door of a guardian angel. And on the wide traffic avenue in front of the cathedral is for me the ultimate consolation. Painted on the carriageway is a huge white arrow. The cathedral and our Catholicism built on a one-way street. Surely an answer, the ultimate consolation for the church suffering in purgatory is that it is a one-way street. However long it takes, the ultimate destination isn't heaven, the place, but a personal, eternal relationship with God. Let's go back to the hedge, to scripture, to read again one story of that journey from this world and our struggling relationship with God and our neighbour across the threshold into the eternal indwelling of each of us into God. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. A chilling and memorable gospel where we are left in no doubt as to where we stand, in whose footsteps we tread, us rich men and rich women, unnamed for us to write in our own name. What was his sin, his mortal offence, that saw him consigned to Hades, hell? He didn't attack Lazarus, abuse him physically or verbally. 
he didn't call the police to have him removed to a night shelter or to a shop doorway in a different postcode. His sin, his offence against God and against Lazarus, was that he didn't notice him. As I leave my sisters in Leeds to drive back here, I travel up the Harrogate Road, a wide avenue of fine detached houses on generously proportioned plots of land. Built 90 years ago, now as ever, highly desirable properties with the right postcode. Nowadays, the new owners apply for planning permission to refurbish enlarge the property to three times its original footprint with the third storey and on the back a granny flat. Then, surrounded by high stone walls, double gates, a security-coded entry and intruder lights and alarms, if this sounds somewhat familiar, realise a real Lazarus wouldn't waste his time and effort frequenting LS16. It's pointless. Arid ground with blinkered, heavily protected, defensive occupants. The illegal migrants on Dover Beach have more chance of breaching our fortifications. Lazarus, a realist as well as a vagrant, attempts to get help amongst ordinary folk like himself until his personal disaster struck. He took, perhaps, one risk too far in growing his business, one foolish infidelity in his happy marriage, an addiction of one form or another, a recession on the back of the pandemic, and he, she, lost everything. Someone we know very well. And before we convict the rich man and throw him into hell, how many of his so-called friends, family, colleagues, fellow parishioners saw his demise gradually worsening and passed by on the other side? A poor rich man noticed, but tragically never helped by a so-called loved one. The very people he thought would be first to step up to the plate and help to listen, to empathise, to pour oil on his wounds, bandage him and carry him in their 73 registered 4x4 to their home, was never noticed or noticed and kept well clear of. No room at the inn for a loved one who has now fallen on bad times. So why be surprised if there's no room for a refugee from Ukraine? Or the 10 o'clock BBC News is now Gaza and the atrocities inflicted by Israel. The pressure seems to be offers to respond in servant discipleship at York Station with a cardboard placard reading, Welcome, four or five, short or long term with a heart drawn in one corner. Instead, we put a £10 note into a DEC crisis appeal envelope. 
my safe contribution towards rebuilding homes and infrastructure over there. Not in my backyard or in my spare bedroom or at our family dining table. It's convenient, simple, soothing to a rattled conscience, making a spa out of religion. Instead of being a willing, loving volunteer in a field hospital, a Pope Francis term. How many field hospitals have you visited this last week in Gaza? Taking the courage to face up to the disturbing images BBC warns you against. To be moved to tears and to prayer by meeting traumatised, wounded, bereaved, losing limbs and whole families. In whose faces and wounds we meet, see and feel the real presence of our suffering Christ. Not I, Lord, surely. A question or a statement of distance and defiance. You choose. We worry and fret over our heating bills and food costs. Deserting Waitrose and shopping secretly at Tesco or even Aldi. Is it true? Is it true? Asked John Betjeman's poem. The tragedy in the gospel isn't Lazarus. He makes it into the arms of the father of the prodigal Abraham. The real victim is the rich man, sadly eventually outed as a good man. He finds himself, his real self, tragically too late. His residual dregs of goodness of good times past to still and always linger. I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house, since I have five brothers, to give them warning so that they don't come to this place of torment too. Even now, having seen so many lives taken quickly from the kibbutzes on the Gaza border four weeks ago today, supposedly so well defended and prepared, we leave it late, very late, and sometimes too late to beg pardon. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son, your daughter. One of my Lazaruses of 22 years ago was a 90-year-old in a hospice. Bad things came his way in life. He was covered with spiritual sores and anger. A victim of a religion, Catholicism, where he felt he could never measure up to being good enough. Someone we know very well. One who would sadly expect their religious passport, their baptismal certificate, to be stamped at the hour of death, proven guilty as charged and condemned. At my firm, gentle, persistent challenges, he eventually agreed, with some residue of reluctance, to confession. A long, long time since he'd been to church and mass. 
no one had noticed him missing and gone to search him out and ask after his well-being. Too many Catholic parishes with security lights, burglar alarms, high fences and a notice board which says politely but distantly, confessions by appointment. My nine-year-old began, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It is 70 years since my last confession. I listened to the story behind some of his wounds, his diseases. He expressed his sorrow from a broken heart and I gave him absolution and holy communion. And his face shone, a reflection of the transfigured face of Christ himself. And two days later, in his field hospital, he died. He heard, responded and experienced with 48 hours to spare, the church's best-kept secret. I hope that when I approach the threshold of the other side in due time, and Christ, the son of his own prodigal father, sees me coming down the road with all the evidence in the world to listen to my plea for clemency, I pray he will be there my Lazarus and yours, to vouch for me, us, in one final act of servant discipleship, carrying me across the final threshold, our spiritual rafa crossing, where Christ waits with bandages, ointment, and the promise not of full restoration, but of divine redemption. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I. Come, my special one, enter into the joy of your master. Today, from this moment, you will be with me in paradise. And all this, all we have uncovered, discovered these last few minutes, I beg to suggest, hasn't been a secret held from us for a lifetime. It's been there, like Advent, waiting, hoping expectantly for you and I to take our eye off the hedge, to put down our polished, well-oiled shears and the precision duty chronology of our prescriptionist weekly compliance and its theological topery. And instead, to notice the person popping on her walking gear, slipping out the back door of our church under the radar of God's officials, heading for an empty tomb and gently whispering to you the secret. And on Monday morning by 12 noon, one of our beloved hedges at the Abbey will have loaded up onto our website the secret itself, the code word, not discovered at Bletchley Park 80 years ago, but by 35 Year 11 boys from St Bede's and St Joseph's College, Bradford, on retreat here some years ago, who have never noticed a hedge, never mind properly cultivated one, yet found a real answer to their own question put to me. The question of a lifetime, for an eternal lifetime, 
do you think there is an unforgivable sin? Wouldn't you love to hear the answer? A prayer for all souls. May the God of all consolation bless you, for in his unfathomable goodness he created the human race. And the resurrection of his only begotten Son, he has given believers the hope of rising again. To us who are alive, may God grant pardon for our sins, and to all the dead, a place of light and peace. So may we all live happily forever with Christ whom we believe truly rose from the dead. Amen. May the blessed Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Thank you. <laughs>